0: I'm over here, I'm by the ladder, remember we would, we've been doing a study, we started in January Think church, what is church, we started this series called Church 101, asking ourselves well why should we have church, what are we trying to accomplish with church, what's church supposed to be all about, why does God want church, why do we need to be in church, that kind of a thing. If you remember, we did an investigation of the New Testament. We found a pattern, and the pattern was that every time the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, whether it was to the church at Ephesus or the church of Colossae or the church of Thessalonica or the church of Corinth, he used like a measuring rule, a stick, like, like he had a standard he was trying to get them to meet. And it wasn't about whether they had a big church or small church or whether they had a good worship team or whether the preacher was good or they liked the children's program. It had nothing to do with it. His whole measuring tool was, do the people there seem to have faith? Are they building and growing in their hope? And do they have love for God and for one another? That was it. That's what he looked at. So then we thought, well, let's dive a little deeper. Then how, are we a faith-building church or a hope-building church or a love-growing church? What, what are we like? Is this what we're, we are? Let's measure ourselves by that standard. Let's think about that. Are we those kinds of people? And we discovered that faith was like a ladder. Remember that? You know, this side would be your will, and this side would be God's Word. And when your will rests on God's Word, because remember, this is the stable side, the straight side, and this is the step side of a step ladder. I used to be a painter, so I went down ladders a lot. That's what holds you up, the Word of God. And where your will connects to and leans on God's Word, that, that's you've reached faith. Well, there might be steps to get there, but that's what faith is, when your will leans on what God said in the Bible, right? So we discovered that's kind of what faith is, and we kind of elaborated on that. Then the next week, which was last week, we looked at hope, and we discovered, you know, all of life is basically based on hope. Even the farmer plants the seed in hope, and all the food that's grown is on hope. All the animals that are raised, he hopes they grow up and he can take them to market. Your, whole, your parents had you born in hope that you'd grow up. Be healthy and strong. And we said hope is kind of like an anchor, right? And we anchored it into the cross. We use this symbol to symbolize God, symbolize Christ. And when we anchor ourselves in the Lord, let's get this anchor unstable. That's the problem sometimes. When you anchor on the Lord, you have something solid to hold your life together. Because hope is all about what? Future. Well, is your future hung on yourself or on other people well that's going to let you down but when you anchor into the Lord he gives you the promise of eternal life there's all kinds of promises in scripture all based on your willingness or not willingness to anchor into them when you anchor into them it makes all the difference in the world because without hope you really don't have much now we're going to look at the third one probably the most important one that would be love Let's tie our anchor in here. And, um, but love is like the most important of all, isn't it? That's what the scripture says. And if you can grab hold of what love is, you can also begin to understand how faith and hope fit in. And I'm hopefully going to be able to pull all three of these together and show you how love is the foundation today. And I know I'm going to need help from God, so I'd like to pray with you. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we have our heads bowed because this is church and we're supposed to try and have church, but you said church is about faith, hope, and love. That's what Paul evaluated all the churches by. And are we doing that? doesn't matter really at all how big the building is or what kind of service we have or how good the preacher is even. What matters is, are we demonstrating? Are we growing in? Are we promoting faith and hope and love? That's what really matters. That's what determines whether we're a church or not or just a gathering of people. So God, I pray for the folks here listening, they'd get it, and we could be church. I pray we'd all get it, and we'd understand what love is today, and how we can grow in love, how we can use love in our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start out today by asking a big question, and and that is why. Why is love so important? Well, In short, love is so important because without it, your life is basically uh, empty and meaningless. Maybe some of you have discovered that already. I mean, many people in the world have discovered that truth. In fact, some have gone so far that they make love like their idol. Love is God. And they seek for love, and they sing about love, and we write books about love, and poetry about love, and everything's about love, and everybody knows we need love, right? But the Bible doesn't teach that love is God, but it does teach God is love. 1 John 4 teaches God is love, but not love is God. And when you make love your God, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed by others. You're even going to be disappointed by yourself. Love is not God, but God is love. And the whole reason you and I exist is because this God of love made us. Do you understand that? The Bible teaches very clearly a doctrine called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what binds the Father to the Son and to the Holy Spirit? Love. Love does that. It binds. It holds things together. Love does that. It narrows things down. And so the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit decided they wanted to create human beings. Why? They didn't need them. They had all the love they needed right there. Why'd they make you? Why'd they make me? He wanted to love us. He wanted to invite us into this fellowship, this unity. We're going to talk more about that in next week, a couple of weeks. But love is why we were made. God's love, love holds God together. God, lo- love is what caused us to be created, and love is what causes us to want to be with God. In fact, I believe many people misunderstand their hunger for love is really a hunger for God, because the whole reason he made you is love. And when you're hungry and thirsting for love in your life, really what you're hungry and thirsting for is the God of love that made you to be loved. Okay, then, here's the problem. If I was made by a loving God, and I was made to be loved by God, and to love God, and to love other people, well, then why don't we just do it? There's this little thing called sin. The Bible introduces it in its very first chapters. Sin, listen to me. This is important to understand theologically. Sin broke the love. That's the biggest problem with sin. It broke the love bond between God and us. We were made to be loved. If you read the whole Bible, you get to the book of Revelation, what do you see? We're all in heaven, or we're all, what, loving on each other? It's it's supposed to be. So all of the Bible, the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 all the way to the book of Revelation, is God trying to bring us back to what we were made for, to be loved by God and to love him in perfect unity, no sin at all. And so God leads up through the Old Testament. All this redemption process is taking place. Finally, Jesus comes to earth. The person of God comes to earth to redeem us back to the loving relationship with himself. Even sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins so that God can bring us back to him. And Jesus says, I'm going to start the church. And church, even hell can't stop my church. Because what's it supposed to do? It's supposed to be a journey of drawing us back to God. And Paul's writing to the church of Corinth here because they don't get it. They think church is a service. They think church is something that's optional. He's going, no, this is the whole process of God. Church is supposed to keep you maturing and understanding and growing in love because that's why you're made. And this is where God's bringing you back to. <laughs> that's, that's why love's so important. It's it. That's why we're here. That's why we're made. And when you hunger and thirst to be loved or to love somebody, you're really hungry and thirsting for the loving God who made you. Wow, what a concept, huh? Well, I'm trying to define it, but actually in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, it's defined better than anywhere else in human literature, not just in the Bible. I challenge anyone to find a more clear definition, a more clear understanding, a more clear presentation of what love is than 1 Corinthians 13. It's the best in human literature, I believe. There's no poems, no writing, even compares. It's that. I've even heard secular people say that. It's that profound. Well, in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, if you have your Bibles open to that, that's where we're going to go today. We're going to go through the chapter way too fast, but we've got to cover the whole thing to help you get understanding of it. He introduces us to this whole answer to why we need love anyhow, right at the very beginning. Ready? I've tried to answer that, but, you know, let's try and answer it from what he says. Look, Ready? 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's stop right there. He's talking to a group of people that claim they have this gift, and some of them did, of speaking in tongues. They could speak in languages they, weren't, they never took a class on, and they knew how to speak. Be like me speaking German right now, and I never took a class on German. It's like, wow, how does that have a supernatural ability to speak to different people in different places? He says, And if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, some people there, uh, Corinth was known for eloquent speakers and tremendous singers. They could really put on a performance. He's saying, well, if I have not love, I'm nothing. It's almost as though the whole worship team came out here today and, and they just, they playing cymbals. And after a while, you'd say, it's just irritating. I can't take it. I gotta get, it. you say, that's what it's like. It's just noise. I've met people like that. Have you? Their words are cheap. They're just trying to sell you something, say something, do something, be somebody. It's cheap. It's hollow, empty, no love. I've gone to churches like that. It's just noise. It's a lot of noise. It's not God. I don't feel God. There's no sense of God. They don't seem to honor God. They don't love God. They don't serve Him. Well, what does this mean then? Well, he goes on and defines it another way. Look what he says. Verse 2, he says this. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Now, here's some people that are exceptionally talented, exceptionally gifted. Prophetic powers, like you can predict the future. Understand all mysteries. They seem to have such wisdom and insight and understanding about all kinds of things all kinds of knowledge Have you been around people like that before I have they make me feel puny because they're so smart so much smarter than me And if they have all faith so as to remove mountains He said you can have all these abilities and you can put on quite a performance and you can be quite intelligent and really impress people with what you got, but if you don't have love and this this word comes up big nothing You're nothing nothing Okay, since it's Super Bowl, you could win the Super Bowl and you'd be nothing. I had to say that today, Super Bowl Sunday. But I have heard former athletes say such things. I've heard gold, gold medalists say such things from the Olympics and former Super Bowl stars. Got nothing. Okay, I got the big medal, like so. I got the big trophy, yes, so. Maybe you've experienced that. You can put on the greatest performance. You can be hailed by the whole world. But if you don't have love in your life, you've got nothing. That's what I said. It's empty, right? Meaningless. Why? Because you were made for love. And you don't have it? Oh, this is why I need the Lord so bad, right? Or this one. Look at verse 3. Here's his, uh, the rest of the introduction. Verse 3 says, And if I give away all I have, That's like the giving of alms in the Jewish tradition, where they'd have this this big plate, you put the alms in, and 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 his trumpet would sound when you did it, so everyone would know. He says, "I can give all kinds. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, which could be an allusion to being tattooed, they literally would burn uh, like 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 the, the the branding of a of a cattle." Slaves were burned. You can give my body to be a slave to somebody and get burned by it, or offer myself as a living sacrifice, which happened in Corinth. They, in the pagan temples there, they would offer sacrifices. But if I have not love, I, again am nothing. Just screams off the page, doesn't it? Nothing. The whole point of his introduction here is saying this, and we've kind of covered, it. it's absolutely necessary. Why is love so important? Absolutely necessary to life. That's his point. Because we are created by a loving God and we are created to be loved. So, if I was made to be loved and I'm made for love, why can't I just go get it? Like I said, because sin gets in the way. So, God did all these things to redeem me, to bring me back to Himself, created the church, said the gates of hell can't stop it. So, we're on this journey. To back to the God that loves us, right? And that's what church is supposed to be. So Paul's talking to a church here. And as I put down on what's called the big idea, he saying a love-growing church always keeps loving, because that's the journey we're supposed to be on. Well, how do we do this? I wonder if Paul's sitting there thinking, you know, I mean, for 12 chapters, he have been talking to them, and all these immature things they're doing, because the Corinthian church was quite a mess. And he's saying, you know, maybe they don't understand the definition of what love really is. So we're going to read, verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He's going to, or excuse me, 4, 5, 6, 7. He's going to tell us what love is like. He's defining it. And then he goes on. Well, maybe they don't seem to really know how to grow love. And lastly, maybe they don't know how to use it. So that's our outline. First one is this, point one. By helping you understand love, and that's what a good church will help us do. As we read this passage, starting with verse 4 now, it says, love is patient, love is kind, goes on and on, gives us all this definition and all these words about what love is. You need to first understand a little word study. The word for love here in the original Greek is the word agape. Those who have been Christians for a while probably know there's three different Greek words for the one word in English, love. There's eros, phileo, and agape. This is the third one, agape. So let's explain what eros is. Eros love is attraction. It's a desire to possess, to obtain. It's often used sexually. It means you love because you're attracted. Boy, he's cute. Man, she's gorgeous. You know, that kind of thing. It's attraction. Phileo, the most common word in ancient Greek for love, is the word for affection. Like you're affectionate toward your kids, or affectionate toward people that are your friends, or affectionate toward your husband or wife. It's a bond that you see a connection. Oh, they're like me, or I like them. We're affectionate. Now, put those aside, because there's a third word, and it's the word agape. Let me just say it right here, clear. If you were going to summarize agape, contrary to the other two, you'd say agape is all about commitment. It's a bond. Just like in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which I already told you, have this love, this commitment to one another. And He made us to commit Himself to us, and for us to commit Himself to... Agape describes that relationship. Agape really is about the word commitment. I remember one time reading a study, almost an inch thick, a paper a guy had written, all this research stuff. I mean, guy was unbelievably smart. And he said, if there's one word that is a synonym for the word love in agape in the New Testament, it's the word commitment. That's it. You could almost read it every time you read the word love. When it's agape being used, it means commitment. Okay, since that's what the word means, let's read how the apostle Paul defines it now. Ready? Here's what he says, starting with verse 4. Well, love, if you want to know what it's like, is patient. This agape commitment is kind. It's not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's just stop right there. He, first of all, seems to be talking about what it's not. He does mention it's, it's patient and it's kind, but then he goes into all these nots. Well, it's, it's, it's not envious, and it's not boastful, and it's not arrogant, and it's not rude, and it's, it's not just wanting your own way, and it's not irritable, and it's not resentful. And it doesn't rejoice in wrong. What trips us up from being agape type people? That sometimes makes you a little boastful or arrogant or rude or resentful or wanting your own way. It's your feelings, isn't it? You feel taken advantage of. You don't feel respected. You feel someone did you wrong. You feel mad. feel hurt, feel betrayed. You're going to get even. Like, right? It's your feelings. They get in the way. They trip you up. Sure you'd love to we all want to be committed in agape, but. Uh, which really is a tough thing in our days because feelings are elevated to the place of God. Listen to this. Paul Miller in a book called A Loving Life it's a great, great book so I'm just going to read you a couple comments where he talks about our culture. He says because our culture makes feelings and, and absolutely feeling happy the goal of life. When our feelings are negative, we experience the cost of love well we think that something has gone wrong then. There, that we're not true to ourselves if we don't express our feelings. (laughs) Our in-tune-with-my-feelings era believes that to be true to myself, to be authentic, means I need to act on my feelings no matter what. But the opposite is actually the truth. In fact, true authenticity means I maintain a trust through the thick and thin. A trust, a trust, a commitment through the thick and thin. To obey when I don't feel like it means I will feel dislocated. You hear what he's saying? That frees me because it allows me to do love, to do good, no matter what my internal spirit is doing. When that happens, I'm on the way to maturity, to becoming a seasoned pilgrim of love. This author is suggesting something so countercultural, so radical in our day, is saying, just stay committed. Yeah, but I feel so what? That's what he's saying. He's saying very much what the Apostle Paul is saying here. No, love, uh, it does not boast, it's not envious of what somebody else has, it's not rude, no it's not going to just be irritable and live in the irritation and and it's not going to rejoice because someone else got their comeuppings no, no, no he says here's what it is, ready for the we looked at what it isn't, look at what it is he says this love is patient yeah but I don't don't feel like it love's patient that committed, love's kind yeah but I'm mad Love's still kind. He says, love rejoices with the truth. And then this, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Hey, did you pick up something there? There's two words used there that we've talked about already. Belief, which is faith, and hope, the anchor. He just talked about the ladder and the anchor. He says love has something to do with the ladder and the anchor. He says when you have love and you have commitment, it's like you have that thing set in in, in concrete around. It's like it's glued to the cross. It's like there's a bonding going on. That commitment is what makes the faith come real. It's what makes the the hope work. We'll get to that in a minute and talk about it some more. I put down in in my outline, love is commitment without an exit plan. That was a quote from this guy, Paul Miller. I thought that was really good. I mean, we always talk about agape love means unconditional love. Well, unconditional love means you don't have an exit plan. That's commitment. If you could define the word commitment, if that's what love is, well, then you got no exit plan. You're in all the way. So I thought to myself this week, I thought, okay, faith is like a ladder. Hope is like an anchor you're tied to. Then what's love like? Well, we already said from the definition of the word agape and from the New Testament right here, it's commitment, even if you don't feel like it, right? What could illustrate that? What could bring that home? How could I demonstrate that in a a way that's like commitment, like solid, you know? It's going to hold it together. It's like concrete. Then I thought, that's it? Concrete? So I got some concrete. The guys made me up some concrete. Here it is. It's getting a little harder now after a few services. But here, this, they, got, they got rocks and this one, not just sand. What's concrete? Concrete is made up of three things, right? Water, cement, and sand and rocks, stuff like that. So that's what we got here, some concrete. Now, concrete can be mixed thick or thin. Sometimes when mixed too thin, there's too much water. It's just plain sloppy, right? In fact, they tell me, guys who work with cement all the time, it won't even hold very firmly because you, you mixed it wrong. And I'm thinking, you know, that's probably what was wrong with Corinth. The people in that church had sloppy love. You got sloppy love? Sloppy love's not very commended. Sloppy love's kind of runny. Sloppy love's not going to hold firm. Not going to last very long. It's what's wrong with most of us. Got a pretty sloppy love. Like a concrete that's not mixed right. The second thing I wanted to tell you about concrete at this point was this, is that, um, you know, it's got to be... uh, cured for a while. Did you know, I just learned this this week, concrete keeps curing after time. For example, I don't know if you know, but um, this floor is all concrete. This stage is all concrete. Those walls are all concrete. They were made in a form and then tipped up. Okay, I I used a word there, form. Whenever you pour concrete, you got to have a form. you got to be able to pour it into a form. It's something that that takes... um, putting it together. It takes time for it to, to come together. Um, you, you know, uh, when, you, when you make a, a form for concrete, it, it, well, let's look at this. See this here? This is a core sample of the concrete you're sitting on. Literally, they poured the concrete, then they drill this out and look at it, and they test this thing to see if this is going to be holding long enough. And it takes sometimes up to 50 years for concrete to be fully solid. So in other words, it's still moving under your feet. It's still still solidifying. It's still drying. And it keeps getting harder and harder and harder. Isn't that kind of like a beautiful picture of what love's supposed to be? And what love is, like in a beautiful marriage, it's lasted for years and years. It gets stronger and stronger. The commitment's stronger. Isn't that what a church should be? You're committed to the people more over years we're going to live together we're going to die together we're going to be together we're church we're not afraid to be committed do you understand that's what church is supposed to reflect to the world that, that we're not afraid to love cuz most people won't go to the place of agape and love why they're afraid of the commitment it's too much right and we as the church stand and say no i'm not afraid god's going to make it all right in fact that's where i'm leading to a place of total 100% commitment. That's heaven. Wow, I never thought of it like that. That's why love's so important. It's the core of the core of the core, and it's solid. But it takes a total commitment to it to make it work. You know, the one last thing I wanted to mention before we move on to point two is this. What if I, I took my cement and I went over to the ladder, and we put a two-by-four frame around it, and I poured, had a cement truck come in here, you know, a whole concrete truck and pour, slab it, and then let it set. This ladder would be so solid. I mean, you could walk up and down all you want. Be, you couldn't move, it'd be held in, right? It's cemented, it's, it's, it's concreted into the ground, solid. Or, or this one, if I took the cross, and I put a big slab of cement oh, this high all the way around it with the anchor in there. It would be so solid. You could hold onto it. You, you could pull. It wouldn't move, right? Isn't that what we just read? Did you see what he said? He says, what? Love believes all things. <gasps> My ladder's cemented in. I can believe now because I have the solidity, the, the solid base of concrete-like love. Love, he said what? It hopes all things. Why can it hope all things? Because it's cemented, it's concreted in. That's why love is the basis that holds everything together. It's like concrete. Point two. You know, a good church is not going to just help you understand that. It's going to help you increase in your love. The next verse is one of my favorite in the Bible. Paul says, love never ends or as I like to read NIV he says love never fails he gives a contrast look what he says as for prophecies people that can foretell the future oh they'll pass away as for tongues some people have that supernatural ability he says no matter what supernatural ability you have even if you can speak another language well that'll cease and as for knowledge it'll pass away these things won't last but love will that's his point. Love never ends. In 1992, this became very personal for me because the doctors diagnosed me with the Epstein-Barr virus. They said, well, a lot of people have it in their blood, but in your blood, we found it in its active stage, which meant that I was constantly fatigued, constantly tired, constantly unable to think straight anxiety attacks all kinds of craziness happening in my life I wasn't able to be a good husband I couldn't be a good father to my kids I couldn't be a pastor to the church and I'm complaining to the Lord and I'm wrestling with the Lord about what's going on month after month after month I mean I didn't even come to work for nine months and then slowly but surely started getting better and I remember my struggles with the Lord about this maybe you've had things like you got things in your life you struggle with the Lord about and it's like the Lord rebuked me one time. I'm, or taught me, I should say. I'm reading this passage about, you know, love never ends. Love never fails. The prophecies will cease, all this stuff. And it's like the Lord said, Marty, you're not failing if you love. Nobody's stopping you from loving your wife. So you're sick. You're sick. No one's stopping you from loving your kids. No one's stopping you from loving the church. You won't fail if you love. Stop loving. Yeah, yeah, you pretty much have. Because I was feeling like a failure. You've ever felt like a failure? Maybe in your marriage, maybe in in getting divorced, maybe in a problem with your kids, or an argument with somebody at work, maybe a disagreement. You really really blew it. But if you continue to love, you're not going to blow it. You can't fail. Because love never fails, it never ends. It's solid, it'll hold you in there. And he builds on this idea even further as we read on, you'll see it. And what came to me this wow, Marty, nobody's stopping you except you from loving. In fact, he builds on this idea in the next couple of verses. Look what he says in verses nine through eleven. Look what he says here. He says, This. For we know in part. And we prophesy in part. He's saying all those things are partial that people have, these abilities, these talents. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What's he trying to say? Well, the word perfect here, in the Greek, the word perfect means maturity. It's the same word. I wish the translators would translate it that way because he's saying, but when maturity comes, and then he even uses the illustration of being a child and being a man, he's basically saying to the Corinthian church, and I think God's saying to us, would you grow up? I mean, think about it. If love is commitment, can a child commit like an adult? No. A child's commitment is childish. It's watery. It's weak because they're just a kid they can only handle but an adult commitment that's a whole other thing isn't it and the problem with the Corinthians even though they were adult people their love was pretty childish pretty weak and he's saying grow up when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child, I had commitment like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's clearly talking about this kind of commitment that only an adult can make. Powerful words, aren't they? What does, where does love come from? Well, love comes from God. But it's not just a choice it's a matter of maturity in fact it's so clear here that he's saying when a love when a person commits their heart they become a patient person a kind person not an arrogant person they bear all things believe all things endure all things he's giving this description you know i one time saw a book entitled love is a choice and i'm like well yeah (laughs) it's definitely a choice but it's a lot more than a choice this is like the spontaneous reactions that come out of your life because you made this choice, this commitment. It's it's like from the heart when your heart's fully given and you've you're solid in your faith, you're solid in your hope, you're solid in your love for God. Well, then it's easier to be patient. It's easier to be kind. It's easier these things just happen. You can endure because you're not shaken. You're not just drifting. You're solid. See what I'm saying? It's a position of the heart, not just a choice. It's your commitment, and it shows through. Let's go back to the concrete again. The Corinthian people were considered kind of uh, immature, right? That's no secret in the New Testament. They were very immature people. In other words, as we mentioned, their love was kind of sloppy. You know, it's, part of it is they weren't ready to make the poor right, which you pour cement into a frame. We talked about that. I remember one time when I was in my early 20s, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring some cement, and I hadn't done this before, some concrete, I should say. I had mixed cement and water and some sand and some rocks mixed it all up, and I'm doing it. And, um, you know, you can get hurt. I don't know if you know that, but I didn't, I didn't get my frame right, so I'm still putting up the frame. I'm get, trying to get it spread out before it hardens. I got gloves on and everything, but some of the cement got up underneath my glove, and it's rubbing in here. Did you know cement will burn you? It really can it's got lime in it and stuff. One of my dad's friends was a plaster contractor. One time, he's plastering some things back when they used to do that, and, 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 and it got in his eye. He almost went blind. It can burn you that bad. And it was burning my wrists. I took them off, and I washed it with water, and I literally had a scab there. I had a scar from cement, from concrete. I think that's what happened to the Corinthians. Their love was so sloppy. They're fooling around with love. Maybe that's what's happened to you. You fooled around with love, and you got burned. That's what happens when you fool around with cement, concrete. You get burned. You weren't ready to make the commitment. I think this is what happens to people who fool around with sex. Did you know sex is supposed to be a wonderful, pleasurable, the most amazing thing? God says the best sex is within the frame or the bonds of marriage. Take it outside that, ooh, it burns. Yeah, he didn't intend it to be that way. The second thing I wanted to say at this point was this. Concrete, as we mentioned, is poured into a form, into a frame, right? That's why we have marriage vows. They're the frame. In sickness and health, until death do us part, that's the frame. I'm framing in my commitment. That's what you do with the church. This is the body of Christ. This is my local church. This is where I make my commitment. That's what you do with a friendship. You're my friend. I'm going to be loyal to you and faithful to you, and you'll be loyal and faithful. That's a good friend, right? Through thick and thin, they're committed to you. You can talk to them about stuff. They can talk to you because you're faithful to each other. Well, point three. I'm running out of time, I see. A good church will help us also use this love, and that's what Paul wanted them to be, a church where they really used it. So he says in verse 12, look at this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, which is interesting because uh, Corinth was famous for their mirrors. They made mirrors out of bronze, polished bronze. Well, bronze is a dark metal, right? So it's, it's going to be a dark reflection, right? Isn't that interesting? For now we see in a mirror dimly. It's like, Corinthians, you get this, right? It's like one of those bronze mirrors you make. But then, okay, that's the now. But then, someday, it's going to be face-to-face, the loving God in us. And he's going to draw us into his love. And that's where we're going, guys. We're going there, he's saying. But now in, uh, now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known, which is what love has. You're loved by someone. They know you. You know them. It's a beautiful thing. He says, well, that's where we're going. That's where you, you need to understand. God's trying to take you. It's like, maybe you're mad at your spouse. You're really hurt by them. That's now. He's saying, yeah, but then. Or you feel betrayed by your friend. That's now. He's saying, but then. And right now, you don't have this loving person in your life. He's saying, yeah, that's now, but then. And what's he saying? Don't be afraid to make the poor. Don't be afraid to make the commitment because it's going to pay off then, even if it doesn't now. That's the whole point he's trying to make. Don't then give up. Don't go to immaturity. Stay solid in your love because it's gonna pay off. He says, now we've seen him here dimly, but then face to face, now you only know part of it. I'm telling you, it's gonna come true because it's the whole reason God made you because he loves you and he created you for love and someday he'll be in perfect love. So it's worth it. Hold solid and faithful. But the problem comes because sometimes it seems so hard Right? You go, I just can't take it anymore. I give up. Or, you know, you decide maybe you're going to have an affair. Somebody at work looks more attractive than your spouse. See so a flirt. You start fooling around. It's like you're fooling around. With... Or for other things, you decide to break up the commitments. It'd be like, they got me a little hammer here and they got a slab on the ground. That's like you go, okay, I'm busting up. I'm going to just bust this up. Hey, I didn't do that last time. Looked pretty good. Smashed it. And that's what happens to our love. But when you do that, when you decide not to be loving, to your spouse, to your kids, to the people at church, to your friends, you break your commitment. You realize what you've just done? You just broke the whole basis of all your faith. You really don't have any anymore. You're putting your will in what? You. You're not leaning up against anything solid like the Word of God. You've just taken the anchor for your whole life and you've thrown it out. Now you're adrift. Any big wave, any conflict, any big problem, you'll, you'll go capsized. In fact, what have you got left? We go right back to the beginning of the, of the chapter. You got nothing. You don't have love. You don't have hope. You don't have faith. You got nothing. <laughs> it's like he's circling right around to the beginning again. He says in verse 13, what? He said, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love. Love is what held it all together. And when you forsake love, you just blew it all. You lost everything. You got nothing. And maybe some of you have been there before. You've been to the place of having nothing. And you're coming back to realize, I've got to have love. Because really, it's it's the concrete that holds your, your faith together. It's what holds your hope. But just like the Corinthians, they're afraid to make that commitment. And if there's anything the church is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a message to the world, don't be afraid to love. We're not. Not afraid to love God. Not afraid to love each other. Not afraid to love my spouse. Not afraid to make the commitments. And the kind of cheap love that's sold out there because someone's attractive or because you feel affectionate is just sloppy love. It won't hold up anyhow. And you'll end up with nothing what do you want I think we should pray about it why not we pray Lord we come to you in the name of Jesus recognizing that you created us in love let me just review this with you and he created you for love and he created you to love him and love others but Lord I'm not doing it yeah that's what agape is all about making that commitment so you've been challenged today what are you going to do about it why don't you say dear God I'm going to do it you're going to give me the grace you're going to give me the strength Lord I've blown it so many times I've messed up so many things I've been so much about eros and phileo or whatever or nothing or myself I'm now literally going to repent here I go Lord I want what's true I want love true love, and for me, it starts with my commitment, not waiting for someone to commit to me, I'm going to commit to love, to love God, to trust your word, love the truth, trust and the hope in you, and love you, if you're willing to make that commitment, just say to the Lord, Lord, I've got to get right with you, I want love, I need love in my life, this is my hunger for love is to really strong. I'm seeing it now. I'm ready. I'm ready to make the poor, to make the commitment. The concrete. The concrete, solid commitment of my heart and life to to the truth, to love. No matter what. I want you. background going now, and I'm about to walk off the stage. I want you to pray. I would ask, as we end this service very unusually now, that no one talk in this room. When you get in the foyer, in you know, the hallway, in the atrium, you can talk all you want. But in this room, let's, let's preserve this holy place, this holy moment. Everyone just be to God. And when you're done talking to him about this, feel free to leave quietly. But Lord, we want to talk to you. Please listen to my brothers and sisters as they recommit themselves to love. Go ahead, you finish the prayer.